on you guys to see the screen. So I'm going to stand here this evening and hopefully I won't get as frustrated as I was yesterday because I was trying to keep an eye over there and an eye over here and I just felt that it wasn't working. But I am so happy to be with you once again this evening for the purpose of studying a portion of God's Word. And I really hope that so far what we've been studying in one way or another has helped us not only to become better acquainted with God's Word, uh, but also to be able to look at the life of these individuals that we've been studying over the last couple of days and uh, hopefully be able to draw some uh, inspiration from their life that we might have also in like uh, the cases that we have studied so far uh, be able to be remembered by the great faith like these men are remembered for and if you remember we're talking about Enoch in our Sunday morning uh, class time and we were talking about how Enoch usually we remember him as a man who walked with God and so we discuss about what uh, would be included in the idea of walking with God and then we talked about Abraham and although Abraham is usually remembered by a man who was pretty much the the standard of what faith was in God, uh, we saw the statement there from the book of James chapter 2 that I think also is very important for us to remember, and that is that he was the friend of God. And we were talking about what friend, being a friend of God is, and obviously with the idea of if that is what we want to be, well, then we are to follow in the steps, steps of Abraham and be like him with the same attitude that Abraham displayed throughout his life. Uh, last night, we were talking about Moses, and Moses obviously is remembered as the lawgiver of the Old Testament, uh, but we also were looking at his characteristics as a leader and talking about the importance of leadership in the Lord's people today. Uh, not only for those who are serving as elders, some of the things that they should uh, consider and look at, and especially in the life of Moses there, a servant of the people, but also those of us who are perhaps in a time in our life in which we may not be able to serve as elders now, but should strive to have all the characteristics to serve the Lord's people in the local church uh, as elders or deacons also, uh, even in the young, uh, yeah, the young men, to inspire them to look to the time in which they'll be able to help the congregation whether it's leading through songs or leading uh, the congregation in the Lord's table or a prayer, whatever it is, but get them involved. Leadership is important. And as long as we are training these new generations, the church will never lack men who would be able to serve as elders and deacons in the local congregation. But as you can see on the screen this evening, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite individuals in the Bible, and that's Samson. It's interesting because Samson is usually not your typical hero of the faith. But it's interesting enough that in Hebrews 11 chapter, he is mentioned there among those of great faith and obviously included in the statement of verse 38, men of whom the world was not worthy of. But if you remember your studies in the Old Testament, you realize that Samson was a man with all kinds of flaws, all kinds of problems, and yet the Hebrew writer refers to him as one of those of among whom the world was not worthy. He was very strong. That's probably the thing that almost everyone remembers. He was incredibly strong, but at the same time, he was incredibly weak. That's what we want to concentrate in our study this, this evening. Uh, Samson his great strength, and his great weakness. But nonetheless, there's a lot that we can learn from him. Now, what I want you to draw from all of this, and at the end, we're going to see this. Uh, there's a lot that we can learn from Samson. However, one of the things that I, that I can see, especially in him, is with all those flaws, with all those problems that he had, he was still being able to be useful to the cause of God. And I want you to consider, now I don't know any of you uh, enough to make any type of, of, of call or suggestion as to, you know, what's going on in your life. But you perhaps will think in, uh, in your mind, well, you know, I have so many problems, I don't see how I could be useful to the cause of the Lord. And so we think, well, you know, I'm just going to come and sit here and, and this is as much as I can do. But even with all those flaws that we may have, we're going to see that even in individuals like that, God was able to use them for his honor, for his glory, and Samson is one of those great cases. Uh, Samson was a man who could have done so much for the cause of the Lord. Now, you remember in this context, Samson is living during the times of the judges. The judges were individuals that ruled uh, uh, during a time in which the nation of Israel will get involved in idolatry, 
they would be oppressed by some of the neighboring countries and so they would cry out to the Lord for help the Lord would set up a judge and as long as that judge was alive the people were walking the straight and narrow they were faithful to the Lord but as soon as the judge would die they would go back into the same uh, 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 rebelliousness of idolatry and it was a constant cycle vicious cycle there uh, of uh, rebelliousness against God Samson is born during that time period and God is going to use him for the purpose of delivering the nation of Israel from the oppressors in this case it was the Philistines and it is in this context that we read about Samson in chapter 13 of the book of Judges chapter 14 15 and 16 now if you have a chance it's only four chapters go ahead and read those to get the entire story of Samson we're going to be concentrating only on several verses, especially in chapter 14 and chapter 16. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you have the time, it takes you probably 20 minutes to read all three, uh, four chapters, and you're going to get the bigger picture there of the life of Samson. But we're going to concentrate on a few things this evening in our study. And especially we're going to look at the weaknesses of Samson. Some of the things that he, uh, w that were against him. Uh, some of them were character flaws uh, that he had, which caused him not to be able to utilize to the fullness his abilities for the cause of God. Chapter 14 of the book of Judges, the Bible tells us as he grows up, he sees a woman whom he thought was very attractive and he wants to marry her. Unfortunately, he's going to choose someone who is not from the people of Israel. And I want you to notice that he, unfortunately, does not listen to the counsel of his parents, which as soon as they see what's going on, they realize this is not going to end well. Verses 1 through verse number 3, it says, Then Samson went down to Tibnah and saw a woman in Tibnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Tibna, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Notice, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you are to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Sansom said to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. In verse number four, however, his father and mother did not know that it was the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling Israel. Now I want you to notice verse number three. I want you to notice the wisdom of Manoah and Samson's mother when they say, is there no woman among your own people that you should go to the uncircumcised looking for a wife? And one of the things that's so important here, especially for the young people, to listen to the counsel of your parents. No one loves you more than your parents love you. No one is going to look after you more than your mom and dad. Now, there's going to be an age in which most young people will come to in which they believe, no, my parents don't know nothing. They don't know what it's like to be young. And I have uh, here, I can see there's a few uh, young people here. And, and you're going to come into that age. I, I remember my kids when they were little. They thought their dad could do everything. There was nothing that their dad could not do. Uh, I remember my wife had this uh, little figurine in, in, in our bathroom. And the kids, for some reason, loved to get on top of the counters in the bathrooms and knocked it down and broke it and so my wife was like oh no and I remember one of my boys said don't worry dad can fix it it was broken in a million pieces but in his mind dad will fix it he can fix everything then they start getting into those older teenage years and all of a sudden dad is not what they thought and they all of a sudden know more and they, they you know their hero dad is no longer what they thought because now they think well I know better I remember that time now you you probably young ones probably uh, th think that my dad and my mom they're too old they don't know what it's like to be young but we know what it's like we know what you're going through we know exactly what you feel and let me tell you one thing. You may not understand this right now, but it'll be a time in which you will. You do not understand what it's like to be a son until the day that you become a father. When you become a father, when you become a mother, then you're going to realize, my parents were not hard on me. My parents were not mean to me. My parents loved me, and now I see why. As soon as you see your first child, you're going to realize, now I know exactly why my parents did this. Samson, at this point, is ignoring, and I'm sorry, I should have uh, uh, advanced here. Samson, at this point, should have listened to the counsel of his parents. Look at what the wisdom writer says in the book of Proverbs chapter 1 and in verse 8. Now, within the context of the book of Proverbs, uh, the thought behind this is a little bit more extensive, but I want you to notice verse number 8, what, uh, what Solomon says there. Now, Solomon is writing this chapter as a father is writing to a son. And I want you to notice what it says here in Proverbs chapter 1 and in verse number 8. Proverbs chapter 1 and in verse number 8, 
Solomon writes and says there, Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Well, why would Solomon recommend this? Because again, no one is going to love you more than your mom and your dad. In the case of Samson, unfortunately, he was going to uh, do as much as he could to get what he wanted. And I'll tell you one thing right now, especially young people, sometimes you need to give thanks to the Lord for the things that you didn't get what you want, uh, that you wanted when you were asking for it because it could have turned out really bad. Uh, I, I try not to, but from time to time, you know, these uh, little stories are necessary. There was a, a story, a funny story of a little boy who every night would pray to God that he wanted to have uh, the powers that his grandfather had and so he would pray night after night I want to have the same power as my grandpa had I want to have the same power as my grandpa had and what he was praying for is that his grandpa had the power to every night take out his teeth and put them in a little cup of water <laughs> well how many times really should we give thanks to God for not granting us the things that we wanted when we wanted them now he probably that little boy was going to grow and get what, what he wanted but it wasn't the right timing Listen to the counsel of your parents. Sometimes kids want something, and sometimes mom and dad said, no, it's not good, it's not right. That's what Samson mom and dad uh, did. This woman is not good. Can't you find a woman among our own people that you should go to the uncircumcised looking for a wife? I don't believe necessarily that is sinful for a non-Christian to, uh, for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. I just don't think it's the smartest thing to do. And so listen to the counsel of others. Listen especially to the counsel of your parents because your parents love you. Samson ignored that and notice what happened to him. Because he ignored that, he started hanging around a crowd that was not good for him. Chapter 14 of the book of Judges. Again, if you are uh, there in the book of Judges, if you have a marker, like a, a little uh, a ribbon in your Bible, leave it here because we're going to be coming in and out of this section of Scripture. But Judges chapter 14, verse number 10 through verse number 11, look at the kind of people that he was hanging around when he was going to get married. It says this in verses number 10 through 11. Then his father went down to take the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now, we're not going to read it right now. We're going to see that in a moment. But the kind of company that he was keeping for his wedding were ultimately going to cost him a lot of grief. And so we're going to see that even his wife, uh, it cost him his wife in this particular case. But the point that I want you to see is he's hanging around the uncircumcised. He's hanging around the Philistines, the enemies of God's people. He chose to be around ungodly people, worldly people, and he's going to pay a dear price for that. Chapter 16 of the same book of Judges, verses 1 through verse 4. Notice what he happens, uh, what he does when he is around the Philistines. Now Samson went down to Gaza. Gaza was one of the leading cities among the Philistines. And he saw a harlot there and went into her. When it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and laid in wait for, uh, for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Now Samson laid until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them uh, up along with the bars, and he put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the mountain which was opposed Hebron. Now look at verse number four. After this it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Zorik whose name was Delilah. He's hanging around the uncircumcised. He's hanging around the ungodly. And he's there and he's only getting in trouble by doing this because not only is this going to cost him, in a moment we're going to see, his fellowship with God, but all the potential that he had as a judge of God's people is being hindered because of the kind of people he's hanging around. Not only the young people need to beware of who they hang around with, but even those of us who are Adults, we need to be careful, especially for those of you who have the kind of job perhaps in an office or uh, at, at, a, at a factory, whatever it is. You know, sometimes the kind of individuals that we have surrounding us in our uh, place of labor, in our place of work, you know, they're not godly people. 
And sometimes they may be nice people. They'd be very fun people. But overall, you know, you realize this is not the kind of people I want to be around with all the time. Be careful because Samson was hanging around these kind of people. And notice what is going to happen to him. We'll see this in a moment. Well, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 and verse 16 says something very interesting about the ungodly. It says this in verses 14 and verse 16. It says this, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of the evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. Why? For they cannot sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Have you ever seen an individual who hangs around the wrong crowd? He gets into trouble. He lands in jail. And what happened to all those friends that he had? They don't visit him. But usually, you know who's the one who's always there? Mom, dad. I remember some time ago uh, watching a, 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 a video of, of uh, uh, individuals that are sentenced to long prison uh, uh, sentences because of what they did. And there was this one particular case. I don't remember all the details, but I remember it was something pretty gruesome that this gentleman did. Uh, killed someone, and, and I believe it was the children of his girlfriend, and his girlfriend, he killed all of them. And anyway, he got sentenced to a very long sentence uh, in jail. And what I found interesting is they're showing the video, and the guy gets all upset, and the, the uh, guards grab him, and, and they kind of have to tussle him. And then you hear in the background, I love you, son. Where were all the friends? All the, the friends that they have that uh, uh, perhaps were just uh, leading them to do things that are not. Where were they when that was happening? They were not there. But you heard the voice of the mother in the background. As evil as what that gentleman did, th that woman was saying, I love you, son. The point that I want you to see is sometimes worldly friends are not going to stop until they get you to do something that is wrong. They may never invite you to say, well, let's go ahead and read a book. Let's get some culture. Let's learn something. Uh, they might invite you to do all kinds of things that are wrong, but then when uh, the, the terrible thing happens, you're before the court and you're going to be sentenced. Where are those friends? But you will always see parents there crying and, 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 and saying to their child, we love you. Samson was a person who did not understand the importance of being careful with whom he was hanging around. Uh, and, and just like Solomon said there, these individuals, they won't sleep unless they make you do something wrong. It says verse number 13, uh, 16 at the end, they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. That's what happened with Samson. That was his problem. Hanging around with the wrong crowd, not listening to the counsel of his parents. But not only that, he was also uh, an individual that not only hanged around with the wrong crowd, but he gave in easily to the pressure of others. Going back to Judges, the 14th chapter, starting at verse number 8 through verse number 16. He uh, get, uh, gets married. There's a wedding going on. And so the Bible tells us that when he sees all of those Philistines there, he comes up with a riddle. And he says, well, see if you can solve my riddle. If you can solve it, uh, if you can't solve it, then you have to give me uh, 30 pieces of clothing each. And if you can solve it, then I'll do that for you. Well, look at what it says in verse number 8 through verse number 16. It says this, starting at verse number 8. When he returned later to take her, that is the woman he wanted to marry, he turned aside and took of the carcass. There's a, lion, a dead lion there. He took of the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees had honey uh, and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hand and went on, eating as he went. When, they came to, uh, when he came to his father and mother, he had, gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with, with him. Then Samson said to them, let me now propound a, uh, uh, propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, propound the riddle that we may hear it. He said to them, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. Now look at what happens when they are unable to figure out what it is. And so they're going to start putting pressure on the wife. It says, verse 15, Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to, the, to Samson's wife, Entice your husband so that he may tell you the riddle, or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? And this, is this not so? 
Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother. Will I tell you? And so he is telling uh, the woman here, Well, I'm not going to tell you. But guess what? She continues on and she continues on. And he's going to give away the riddle. And that's going to get him in trouble. Because he has vowed that he was going to give all the companions 30 pieces of clothing. What's the point? Samson, in this particular case, did not have control over himself. He gave in to pressure. It's not the first time that it was going to happen with him because it's going to happen again in chapter 16 when it comes to the, uh, the source of his strength. In chapter 16, verses 5 to verse 21, he goes again with another woman of the Philistines, in this case, a woman by the name of Delilah. And they want to know, how is it that he's so strong? What do we need to do to make him weak? And so it says in verse number 5, the lords of the Philistines came up to her, this is to Delilah, and they said to her, entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him and afflict him. Then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound and afflict you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. I want you to notice here what he does. He begins to tease her. Rather than just saying what was the right thing that should have been told is, it comes from God and it's over. No, he begins to tease her. And I want you to keep this in mind because sometimes we think, oh, I'm strong. I'm not going to fall. I'm not, I can hang around with these kinds of people, but I'm not going to do the things that they do. And we think we're strong. You know who was strong? Samson was strong. Samson was very strong. And yet the Bible tells us that he was extremely weak. Because here this woman comes and says, just tell me how. And he begins to tease her and tells her, well, if you just bind me with these cords that are fresh, that have him dried, I'll be just like any other individual. And notice what happens in verse number 6. So Delilah said to Sam, um, uh, verse number 8, I'm sorry. Then the Lord of the Philistines brought to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lay, lying in wait in the inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toe snaps when it touches fire, so his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me and told me lies. Please tell me now how you may be bound. He said to her, If they bind me tightly with new ropes, which have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Again, rather than just saying it comes from God, he begins to toy with her. He begins to tease her. And it says in verse number 12, So Delilah took new ropes and bound him uh, with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So the men were lying in wait in the inner room, but he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how we may, uh, that you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pen, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into a web. And she fastened it with a pen and said to him, Samson, the uh, Philistines are upon you. But he awoke and his, uh, from his sleep and pulled out the pen from the loom and the web. Then she told him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came about when she pressed him daily with these words and urged them that his soul was annoyed to death. If he would have just said, it comes from God, it would have been over. But because he was playing around with her, it says that she started pressing him daily, what we call nagging, over and over and over, until he finally gave in. It says in verse 17, so he told her all that was in, her, in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come to, the, to my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other men. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up at, uh, once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought her the money in, the, in their hands. 
She made him sleep on her knees and called for the man and had him shave the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And I want you to notice what it says in verse 20. And he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. If he would have just said, it comes from God, it would have been over. But he began to play around with her. He began to play around with her. And again, this is a mistake that a lot of us make thinking, well, you know, it happens to everyone else, but it's not going to happen to me. Sansom was strong, and he still ended up losing everything because he gave into pressure. He tried to play around with sin, and he ended up paying the price. The book of Proverbs chapter 24 and in verse number 10 says this in verse number 10. Now, I know it's talking about something else, but you'll see the point. It says in verse number 10, the wisdom writer says, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. What's the point? If you are slack in the day, if you are weak, if you give up, if you give, give in easily when it counts, then you're not strong. And sometimes I hear brethren say, oh, I can do that. I, it, it's not going to happen to me because I'm strong. Samson was strong. But he gave in to pressure because he toyed around with sin. And so this is the problem that he had. He not only was a person that he was going to get away what he, what he wanted, he was self-willed, not only was he hanging around the wrong crowds, but he gave in to the pressure of the crowds. As strong as he was, he was extremely weak. But not only that, he was extremely disloyal to his vow to God. Going back to the book of Judges, chapter 14, the Bible tells us there that he was a man who was a Nazarite, from his mother's womb. And so one of the things that he was not supposed to do uh, under the Nazarite vow, he could not eat anything that came from a grapevine. He was not supposed to touch anything dead according to the vow. Well, look at what happens in chapter 14, verses 5 through verse number 9. It says, then Sam, we read it a moment ago, but let's go ahead and read it again. It says in verse number 5, then Samson went down to Tibna with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timna, and behold, a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore, the, uh, uh, tore him, that is a lion, as one tears a young goat through, and uh, he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked uh, good to Samson. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into the hands and went on eating as he went. He was there touching the carcass. Now, according to the Nazarite vow, he was not supposed to do that. He was not supposed to eat anything that came from the grape. When his mother was uh, going to uh, be pregnant, when she was announced, uh, it was announced to her that she was going to be pregnant, the angel told her, you cannot eat anything because your child is going to be separated to God. He's going to be a Nazarite since the womb. And so if you notice there, chapter 13, verses 2 and, uh, through 5, when the angel speaks to, uh, to uh, the wife of, of Manoah, it says this in verse number 2. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the fam family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have borne no child, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So Samson knew since he was a child, he was special. He was a, a, a person who was separated to God under the Nazarite vow. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read it, but if you want to go ahead and look at the Nazarite vow, it's found there in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 1 through verse 8. Chapter 5, verse 2 made it very clear that they were not supposed to touch anything dead, and yet this is where he took the honey from. When it came to his vow that he knew since he was a child, he knew exactly what God required of him, but he was disloyal to his vow, and that was part of his weakness. And so when you look at all of these things, as strong as uh, Samson was and as weak as he was, 
What was the price that he ended up paying for being so weak? Well, number one, in his case, it literally cost him his eyes. We saw that a moment ago, but let's go back to chapter 16 of Judges and look at verse number 21. The last part specifically of that verse says this, the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. The Philistines seized him, that first part of that verse, and gouged out his eyes. That's exactly what sin does to an individual. It blinds an individual. Now, not in the physical sense. In his particular case, yes, quite literally, he was blinded. But how many people, because they toy around with sin, become unable to see the danger of it? Because sin does that. It blinds you. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, talks about this idea of being blinded by the things of this world. And he puts it this way in verses 3 to verse number 4 of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. An individual who toys around with sin, he might believe that he's standing right with God, but sin will blind him. In the case of Samson, it was literally, he literally lost his eyes. But how many people have you talked to, maybe even members of the church, that you talk to them and they say, oh, I know, I know, I know. But then it seems like it doesn't react. They don't react. They've been blinded by sin. The church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation chapter 3, it's interesting because they saw themselves in one way and the Lord saw them in a total different light. It says this in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, verse number 17 or verse number 18, the church in Laodicea, it says this, the church in Laodicea, they were saying about themselves, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and need of nothing. And the Lord says, but you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Verse number 18, the Lord says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined with fire that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Sin will cause an individual to not be able to see exactly where he's standing with God. In the case of Samson, sin literally cost him his eyes. But not only that, it cost him his freedom. Going back to the book of Judges, chapter 16, but look at verse number 21, the last part of verse 21. Judges 16, verse 21, the last part. Let's go ahead and read the entire thing. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. What does that mean that he was a grinder in the prison? He was doing the work of an animal. You probably have seen, maybe if you go to like Amish communities, you've probably seen these grinding stones. There's big round stones. And there's a, usually a, a hole in the middle where there's probably, uh, where the pole is, is usually uh, put through. Uh, and so usually there's two stones. There's one on the bottom and then the, the grinding one, the round one. And usually that pole would be connected to an animal, whether it's a donkey or an ox or, or a horse. Uh, and all that poor animal does is just go around and around and around and around. And so they're tossing the, the, the corn or, or whatever uh, uh, grain they're tossing in there to, to grind it uh, and so all that does is just go around and around and that's all the poor animal does all day that's what Samson was doing from being a judge among God's people from being a person who had been blessed from his mother's womb he's now doing the work of an animal why because he played around with sin as strong as he was he is now doing the work of an animal he has lost his freedom he can't go anywhere if you look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, and this is important because we live in a country, and we were talking about this the other day, we live in a country in which it's been ingrained in our minds, this is the land of the free, the home of the brave. We are free people, and that's true overall uh, when it comes to society, when it comes to uh, politics and world. Yes, we are a free people. However, if we are involved in sin, we are enslaved to sin. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 or verse number 20 there, he asks a couple of questions that are so important that people need to understand. If you are involved with sin, you are a slave of it. It says this in verse number 16 or verse 20, Paul writes and says this, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? 
either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been made freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now notice what it says there in verse number 19. Am I speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh? For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And so in the case of people today, when they think, well, you know, at least I'm not as bad as what so-and-so is, or what so-and-so has done, what I've done is not as bad, they don't realize sin is blinding them. Sin is fooling them. And sin ultimately is going to cost them their freedom. That's what sin does. It enslaves. In the case of Samson, it was quite literal. But in the case of a lot of people today, they need to learn from the mistakes of Samson. You don't have to make the same mistakes as Samson did to learn from his mistakes. But not only that, one of the sad things, this is one of the sadder things that I think about Samson is that he was humiliated by the enemies of God. Going back to Judges, the 16th chapter, but look at verse number 25. Judges chapter 16, verse number 25. The Philistines are ecstatic about having captured Samson, and now he's uh, in the mill there working like an animal. And so it comes to this one day in which they get a little drunk, and they're like, you know what? Let's bring Samson out. And in this case, Samson was humiliated by becoming a clown for the Philistines. It says, verse 25, so it happened that when they were in high spirits, they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. The man who had been blessed by God from his mother's womb, what incredible strength, what an incredible blessing, that of being separated to God by the Nazarite vow. The man who was there, who was there to deliver Israel, is now the clown for the Philistines. This is what happens when we get ourselves involved in sin. In the case of Samson, as strong as he was, his weakness caused him to not only uh, lose his eyes, literally lose his eyes, not only lose his freedom, but also the honor that God had bestowed on, on him. He was now the clown for the Philistines. And in the case of Samson, unfortunately in the end, it literally cost him his life. If you're st still there in, J in Judges chapter 16, look at verse number 28 through verse number 31. 28 through verse number 21. It says this. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this one time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines by my, uh, for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars in which the house rested and braced himself against them to be one uh, with the, his right and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed in his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Notice here the sad ending of this man who had so much potential for the sake of God because he chose to fool around with sin. He chose to uh, listen to those who were worldly idea, and in the end it cost him his life. You know that's exactly what sin ultimately does. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, a passage that I think most of us know very well, the first part of that verse reminds us the wages of sin is death. I usually, for, there's some things that I, I'm, I'm super frugal on so, in, in many things. There's a lot of things that I, I really don't care. And, and so, for example, with food, I, we enjoy going out to eat. And, and, and when it comes to food, you know, I don't care. I, I like to go and, and, and uh, take my family and be with other brethren. And I like to do that. And I don't care about the money in those cases. But there are certain things that I wouldn't spend money on. And some of those is, for example, clothing for me. I will not pay more than $10 for a pair of pants. I'm like, I'm going to put them through the ringer. I'm going to use them to uh, mow the lawn and things like that. So I'm not going to spend more than $10 on a pair of, uh, of jeans uh, with tennis shoes. You know, I usually go to, uh, to uh, uh, the sporting goods store, and, and the first thing I do is pick up the sales. What's the sales? And I don't even look for all the sales. I look for the 20 and under. <laughs> I'm not going to spend more than 20 bucks on a pair of shoes because I, I, I'm just going to, you know, use them to uh, be around the house and, and, and do things that I really don't care about the shoes. So I, I try not to spend money on those things. However, 
when there's something that I see that I think it's nice, maybe it's a pair of pants, and I look at it, and I, if I see it's more than 10 bucks, I put it back and walk away. It's out of my budget. But when it comes to sin, unfortunately, sometimes brethren see the price tag on it. The wages of sin is death. That's the ultimate price of sin. And rather than putting it away, like I would do with a pair of pants that I think is too expensive, I'm not going to spend that money for them. Rather than putting them away, some brethren seem to, oh, I'm going to carry it here in my, until, you know, see if it grows on me. The end result of sin is death. Now, in Samson's case, it was literal. He literally died with the enemies of God. But that was the consequences of the choices that he made for the things that he did uh, in, in ignoring the will of God. And so what's the point that I want you to see? We are not the exception to the rule. If you think, oh, but I'm strong. This is not going to happen to me. Samson was strong, and it happened to him. Sin doesn't care. Sin doesn't care who you are, what's your background, what you have done, what you have been able to accomplish or not accomplish. Sin is no respecter of persons in that sense. In that sense, And it will go through anyone in the same way like it went through Samson. So really quickly here, what are some of the lessons that we can learn from Samson? Well, first and foremost, and we talked about this already, but keep this in mind, especially young people, listen to your parents. No one loves you more than your mom and dad. I understand, you know, you, you probably think, no, my parents are too old. I, I look at myself now and I think, you know, by the time my dad was my age, he already had, had already two grandkids. And we used to think, man, my dad is old. I look at myself, I'm not old. And my dad is 72 and I look at him, I'm like, no, my dad's not old. Well, maybe because I'm getting more to that side now than when I was a kid. But the point that I want you to see is, yes, your parents do understand what it's like to be your age. Your parents do understand what you're going through. Your, your parents know, uh, you know, that there's a lot of things that you may want to do, and they know, yeah, I, I was a kid, and I, but these things are not good for you. And so listen to your parents, because your parents want only the best for you. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. And in verse number 20, especially for you as young people, uh, maybe you go to class here and maybe you have memory work. I, I would like for, for you to memorize this verse. Verse number 20, it says this, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Samson didn't listen to his parents. And look at what happened to him. And so, listen to your parents. But not only listen to your parents, not only young people, but also those of us who are a little bit older, also avoid friendships that are clearly wrong. You know, as a child, I remember when I was a teenager, uh, sometimes friends would come over and say, hey, well, let's go uh, to this place. And, and I remember I would say things like, okay, let me go ask my mom. And I would say to one of the friends, you don't come because if my mom sees you, she won't let me go. <laughs> Why do parents do that? Because they know certain friendships are not good for us. And we need to be careful. You need to be careful, especially as a young man, but not only young men, again, adults. The kind of friendships that sometimes we have at work, you know, sometimes it, we need those individuals because of work, but sometimes we don't need them outside of work. Sometimes we don't need to be hanging around with them because Paul says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, bad company corrupts good morals. My grandparents, they were not highly educated in the sense of a brick and mortar school type of education. They were not highly educated person. They were country people. However, they were not dumb people. They were extremely smart. And you know that same principle of the Apostle Paul there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the way they used to put it was this. If you hang around with wolves, you will learn how to howl. If you're hanging around the wrong crowd, you are going to pick up the bad habits of those crowds. Now you may think, oh, not me. No, no, I, I, I know better. My folks have been really good. I know better. I know that so-and-so, he does these things, but I'm not going to do those things. Look at what the wisdom writer says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 27, 28. In the context, I know the context is different. The context is talking about there uh, concerning immorality and, and, and adultery. And so he says, don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to be tempted. But I want you to notice a principle here, especially for the young people. Chapter 6 of the book of Proverbs, verses 27 and verse 28. The wisdom writer says this, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? If you hang around with wolves, you will learn how to howl. Because a person cannot grab burning embers, put them on his chest and not expect to get burned. Or see the coals, the hot coals on the ground and walk on them barefoot. And you know, you see sometimes people on these shows that they can do these things. Uh, the average person tries to walk on hot coals and he's going to jump. He's going to be burning. His feet are going to burn. You cannot do that. 
You cannot be around individuals that have a different mentality, a different goal, spiritually speaking, and expect that you're not going to pick up those habits. And so this is what happened with Samson. He was hanging around Philistine. He was hanging around the uncircumcised. That's what his father said. Why do you have to go to them to look for a spouse when there's so many among your own people? And so the point that I want you to see here is very clear. Avoid friendships that are clearly wrong because it doesn't matter how strong you may think you are spiritually. Sin is no respecter of persons. It is highly tempting. It is, it is very alluring. And even the best, even the strongest, like in the case of Sansom, have fallen. But not only that, avoid certain situations by which you are going to be pressured by temptation. In the book of Matthew, for example, chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. And, and I want you to notice here, because sometimes we look at this and, and we think, well, God is the one who needs to get us out of these situations. Jesus said among his prayer that he was sh- uh, showing his disciples how to pray, he says to them in chapter 6 and in verse 13, the first part of that verse, and lead us not into temptation. Well, I, I don't think it's wrong to pray to the Lord to uh, help us stay away from temptation, but don't put yourself in a position where you're going to be tempted. An individual who perhaps has uh, uh, an issue with uh, some kind of an addiction. Uh, He gets off of work, and all the friends say, hey, come on over, we're going to be at a certain tavern or whatever, come on over. Uh, Oh, no. Oh, you don't have to drink. Well, guess what? If you're in that situation, maybe sooner or later, you may the first day not do it, but if you're hanging around with them, maybe sooner or later you're going to be tempted to, let me just take one with with the boys, with the guys here. And if you do it again, Maybe you're going to think, well, one wasn't a problem. Maybe I can handle two. Next thing you know, you're going to find yourself in a situation. Don't put yourself in a a situation where you're going to be pressured to do that which is, uh, you know, is wrong in the eyes of God. When Jesus says there, do not lead us into temptation, he's not saying be careless and just pray to God to get you out of there. Don't put yourself in a situation of temptation. Chapter 4 of the same book of Matthew and in verse number 7. When Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to sin, Jesus said to him in verse 7, On the other hand, notice, it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Don't put God to the test. Well, I prayed, deliver me from temptation, and he allowed me to go through, so it must be that God allowed it to. No. Jesus says, don't put God to the test. Don't put yourself in a situation where you are going to be tempted. Because here's the reason. Look at Matthew 26, verse 41. I understand the context here is a little bit different. But in Matthew 26, verse 41, Jesus said to his disciples who were there with him, that he had been praying and they're asleep. And Jesus said to them in verse 41, keep watching and praying that you may not into temptation. Why? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so sometimes we might have it in our mind. Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But sin is tempting for a reason. Because it does have an allurement. It does have an attraction. And Jesus says, be careful. The spirit might be willing, but the flesh is weak. Samson put himself in situations where it caused him to break his vow before God. And so keep this in mind. It's something that we can learn from Samson. And above all, one of the things that Samson failed to do, one of the things that we need to keep in mind, remain loyal to God. God doesn't require of you to... Give up anything that is good for you. What he's telling you to give up is because it's not good for you. And what he requires of us, it's really not that difficult. I understand there's a proverb down in Mexico that says, only he who carries a backpack knows exactly what's in it. And I understand you may have a a situation where you might think, well, you know, my situation is is different. And and so uh, I I know what, what I struggle with. And that's true. Only you who carry that backpack knows exactly what's inside of it. But I want you to notice what John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 3, that when it comes to what God wants from us, it is not something impossible. It is not something that is difficult to do. 1 John chapter 5, and in verse number 3, John says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. They're not heavy. They're not difficult. What God requires of us is not difficult. All he wants from us is just be loyal to me. Be loyal to me. And here's the key. Verse number four. He says this, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And what is the key to victory? This is the victory. 
that has overcome the world, our faith. If you have faith in the Lord, even the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said it would be able to move mountains. If we fall, if we trip on every pebble in our way, we will never be able to overcome those greater battles. But even if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, if we just focus it on Jesus, we will be able to say to those big problems that come in life, get out of my way because we believe in the Lord. And that's one of those things. Keep in mind, brethren, don't come to the Lord saying, Lord, look how great problems, look how big problems I have, but rather look at your problems and say, no, look at what great a God I serve because God has given us the power to be victorious. And Samson could have done great things because he had been blessed by God. But he chose not to be faithful to the Lord. He chose not to be loyal to the Lord. It seems to me in the end, it seems that his repentance was actually sincere because the Hebrew writer does mention him as a man whom the world was not worthy of. With all his mistakes, if you, my brother, my sister, if you find yourself where you think, yeah, I have a lot of mistakes in my life too, just correct those things. Correct those things and you can be an incredible useful tool for the purpose of God, for the work here of the local church, because again, God is able to transform lives. God is able to do the changes in an individual's life. All you have to do is be willing to submit yourself to the will of God. And God will help you change your life. I appreciate so much your attention tonight. I hope and pray that our study this evening has been in one way or another encouraging. And hopefully, like I said, the next few lessons you will find them as well. Not only helpful to us as Christians to be able to learn what God requires of us. Things that we can apply to our lives. But hopefully we can teach these things to others as well. And we hope that we will be able to accomplish that this week and the next couple of nights. But as always, we don't want to dismiss our gathering without briefly describing what is it that a person must do in order to be saved. There might be here some who are not Christians yet. Like I said, being a visitor, most faces, are, I, I'm recognizing a few now, but there might be some who are visiting this evening. And if that is the case, well, we want you to not walk out of this building in the same spiritual condition as you walked in. If you are not a Christian and you want to become one this evening, the Bible tells us in very clear words what is it that the Lord requires of us. If we have heard the gospel message, and you heard part of it this evening, but perhaps you've been visiting for a while and perhaps you have been hearing other lessons and have a better understanding of what the gospel is and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, keep that in mind that believing in Jesus is much more than just a mental acknowledgement. It requires an obedient faith. That's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. If you believe that he's the son of God, if you're willing to repent of your sins, repentance is a change of mind, and it will reflect in a changed life. But understand this first. You don't have to go change your life first and then come to the Lord, but rather be willing to repent of your sins, and the Lord will help you change your life. Those of us who grew up in not a home that was a Christian home uh, and perhaps came to know the gospel as adults, like in my case, uh, we can look back and see that the gospel truly can change the life of an individual. If you are here this evening and you want to begin this new life with Christ, if you're willing to repent of your sins, all we ask is that you state with your mouth that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you're willing to make that confession this evening here before this group of Christians, then we'd be more than happy to assist you in your obedience to the gospel. For the Bible tells us that you need to be baptized in order to receive the benefits of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this evening and are not yet a Christian, we have water ready. We'd be more than happy to assist you in your obedience to the gospel. If you are a Christian and you realize that you're not living your life the way that you should as a Christian, then change that before it is eternally too late. If we can help you by praying with you and praying for you, maybe your sin is really out of hand that has brought shame or reproach upon the Lord, and it's a public knowledge, and the brethren know about it. James chapter 5 and in verse 16 tells us how to fix that as well. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another for what purpose? In order to be healed, the effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. If we can assist you with any of these things this evening, whether it be united with Christ in baptism or be restored into the faithful, seeking the prayers of the congregation, won't you let us know? We invite you to come forward as together we stand and sing the song of invitation. Who will follow Jesus? Who will follow Jesus?